Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. I'm so excited to be here with you today. It's been a thrilling week in the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind group. On Facebook, we have launched a new program called Lighting Our Lamps, Morning Inspiration for Moms. It's a free 20-minute Facebook Live every morning to recenter ourselves, to lamp our lights so that we can be a light to our families throughout the day and we can bring optimism and hope to the people we love the most and a happy attitude to our families. I quoted Little Women that talks about being the sunshine maker of your home and that's what we wanna be. So we would invite you, if you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, please go over there and join us in the mornings. 6.30 Pacific time, 6.30 a.m. Pacific time, 9.30 Eastern time. We get on for just 20 minutes. Sometimes we go a little over, but I'm trying to be good about that. And we do some gratitude. We read from inspirational works. We work on truth statements. And then I do some free mentoring for about 20 minutes after on Zoom for anyone who's struggling with fears or worries right now that wants to learn how to turn those into truth statements that will empower them. So that's what you can find there. One other incredible announcement I want to make is that Anne Schlafly, daughter of Phyllis Schlafly, will be a guest in the Facebook group on Friday at, let's see, that would be 12 Pacific and 3 Eastern time. She, Phyllis Schlafly, for those who don't know, was an incredibly powerful conservative mom during the feminist movement who many say she almost single-handedly stopped the Equal Rights Amendment from being passed. And she had very important reasons why she felt that was important. She was a very God-fearing, mission-driven woman. So we're gonna talk about her, talk about feminism, talk about the feminist movement, and talk about a new Hulu series called Mrs. America that's telling some lies about Phyllis Schlafly that Anne wants to correct. So really honored that we get to hear from her on Friday. Another great reason to join our Facebook group. And we are, at least during coronavirus, when we're all stuck a little more at home and wanting to be uplifted and inspired and learn, we're going to have some guests for you on Fridays in April that you can learn from. Another guest that I recently secured is an expert. Uh, She's a mission-driven mom. We'll talk about her life and the service that she's done in the community, but she's an expert on on government. And we can ask her some important questions about what moms can do today, what those governmental and economic principles are, and that's gonna be on the 10th. So great, great stuff coming up that I'm really excited about, wanted to tell you about. If you're loving these podcasts, please share them out and give us a review so that we can continue to grow this podcast. And of course, these Facebook Lives will also eventually become podcasts so you can re-listen to them and enjoy them. But In the meantime, join the Facebook group and learn more about the feminist movement. As you know, if you listen to the podcast, I've been doing a podcast series on feminism, so this is timely, and uh, we can learn a lot more from Anne. So please join us there. Today I want to tell you a story about a boy named Andrew and talk about what he leaned on and what you're leaning on. So Andrew grew up in a small community in Witt, 
uh, the small community of Witt in Holland. His father was deaf, but his father rose at 5 a.m. every morning to tend the family garden, from which he fed his six children, and then he pedaled his bike four miles to his smithing job in a neighboring town. Andrew's mother was a semi-invalid because she had a bad heart, and so she had to spend a large part of every day sitting. But religion was her life, and she loved listening to the gospel station from Amsterdam and hearing God's word being preached and sung. Now, in addition to the physical limitations of Andrew's father and mother, Andrew also had an oldest brother named Bastian. No one knew exactly what was wrong with him, but he was unable to talk or even dress himself. And his mental handicap prevented him from doing very much. His days consisted of standing under an elm tree, watching the village go by until he was led home for supper. He was a musical genius though, his father, even though he was deaf, had been a musician and played the a little organ they had in their home. And so despite his being deaf, he would play and Bastion, or Bass as they called him, would listen intently and repeat the pieces played and played them so beautifully that people outside their home would stop to listen. Now this family was very poor, as you can imagine, with a father so debilitated, an older brother who couldn't work and help support the family, and a mother who was so ill. They had the smallest house in the village but even though they struggled immensely, an unending stream of beggars, preachers, and gypsies were never turned away and were always welcomed at their table. Now, amidst all this physical and financial suffering, there was always a lot of love in their home, love for God and love for each other. And Andrew led, you know, a happy childhood. He had to work hard, didn't get a lot of education, but he did love his family very much. He was devoted to them, especially to Bastion and he was obedient and hardworking. But one thing he really didn't like at all was church. And so he would find ways to get out of attending. And um, he would tell his family he was gonna go sit in the back and then he would slip out and then he would come in right at the end and find tricky ways of not attending church. And so from a young age, even though his mother was very God-fearing and religion was a big part of their lives, Andrew didn't really spend a lot of time in religious endeavors. What he really wanted was to be a secret agent. He really longed for adventure. He wanted, he thought being a spy and being behind enemy lines sounded so romantic. He wanted big, dangerous jobs. He wanted to do big, important things. And so he always dreamed about that and played those kinds of games and hoped that someday he could do something, you know, really big and important as a secret agent. When Andrew was about 10 years old, Bastian came down with tuberculosis. And Andrew did not want to live without Bastian. And so he knew tuberculosis was highly contagious and his parents tried to keep him out of the room, but he would go in there often. He would touch him, he would even kiss him. He actually wanted to contract the disease so that if Bastian died, he could die with him. But in the end, Bastian died and Andrew never contracted the illness. And he felt like God had betrayed him twice in taking Bastion and then not allowing him to get sick and die too. When World War II broke out in Holland, Andrew was 12 and his family would regularly house Jews in their home overnight as they uh, made their way to the coast to try to uh, escape to safety. They barely survived during the war. It was just totally hand to mouth. In fact, with Bastion's death, there were just six of them in the home 
And so they lived on rations for two during all those years. And the, their mother became really, really sick. In fact, they felt like she was going to die if the war didn't end soon. But it did end, and Andrew ran down to an encampment and was able to secure some breadcrumbs and gave them to his mother, who just wept for joy. So several months after the war ended, Andrew's dad called him to his side and he said, okay, Andrew, you're 17 now. What do you want to do with your life? And Andrew said, I, I don't have any idea. I'm not really good at anything. I don't really have many interests. And his dad said, it's time for you to choose a trade. I want your answer by fall. So in the meantime, the Dutch East Indies had been liberated from Japan and they were attempting to claim independence from Holland as well. So Holland was going back to war to try to reclaim the Dutch East Indies. And Andrew knew that the one thing he could do well was run. It was a great joy of his life to, to run. And he didn't have a lot of education. He didn't have a lot of options open to him and no great sense of who he was or what he was good at. So he decided this was the perfect opportunity for him to join the army. He told his dad that that's what he was gonna do. His mom, you know, wasn't excited about it, but his dad supported him. He had to be 18, he had to be 18 that year. So he had to wait until January, he was gonna be 18 in May. And he joined the army, got his, got all suited up and um, went off to be trained. He said, I'd left home emotionally as well as physically, how I liked being treated like an adult. So he's left to another town, he's being trained in the military, and he decides to go to church on Sunday, but it's not because he likes church. He sleeps through the sermon. But he's realized, he's smart enough to know that if he shows up at church as a young soldier, families will invite him to dinner, and he'll get these dinner invitations, he won't have to make his own, have a nice dinner and be able to talk with people and meet people. So that's what he did. Um, he started taking up smoking. Eventually he became quite a chain smoker. And when he said goodbye to his family before he went off to his training, his mother gave him a Bible that he stuffed in the bottom of his duffel bag and, and didn't ever look at it again. So he's off on this new, what he thinks is an adventure. He's excited to be in the military. He feels so big and grown up smoking his, gassar, his cigars and wearing his uniform and meeting these new families. And he said, for some reason, the thought never penetrated that I was training to kill human beings. I did not guess when I let home, left home that within a few weeks, I would be killing children and unarmed adult, adults, just like the people who crowded around me now. He said that, that about leaving home when he was hugging his family. So when the training was over, his group was sent to relieve a company of commandos that had lost three out of every four of its men. So he's clearly going to a very dangerous situation. And this is what he said about it. Instantly I knew that I had been wrong about this adventure. It wasn't the danger, I liked that, it was the killing. Suddenly targets were no longer pieces of paper stuck up on an earth background. They were fathers and brothers like my own. Often our targets weren't even in uniform. What was I doing? How had I gotten here? I was more disgusted with myself than I had ever imagined possible. And then one day the incident occurred that has haunted me all my life. So his group had been in battle for three straight weeks, every single day. And everyone was exhausted and kind of at their wits end. And they were marching through a village 
that they were confident did not contain landmines because people still lived there and they didn't think the communists would have planted landmines in a place that was still occupied. But landmines were what they feared most because they would come upon them unexpectedly. Halfway through the village, mines started going off and these soldiers without orders and without even thinking started shooting everything in sight and when they came to themselves, there was not a living thing in the village. So he's already just sick at heart and devastated by what's gone on before and by this action. But as he walked through the village, he saw a sight that stuck in his mind and nearly made him go insane. It was a mother holding her young baby in her arms, dead on the ground, and they were both killed by the same bullet. After that, he said he wanted to kill himself, and he became famous over the next two years for his unthinking and irresponsible escapades in battle. In fact, everything he did for the next two years, he did in extremes. He fought like a madman, and he drank until he passed out. At this point, he's lost all his inhibitions, and he's daily just inviting death. He really just wants to die. He doesn't really necessarily want to kill himself, but he figures I'm in war. He wears this bright yellow hat every day to draw attention to himself, and he takes all kinds of risks that nobody dares take. Everybody thinks he's just insane. And when he's not on the battlefield being crazy, he's smoking heavily and drinking heavily to drown his emotional pain. So he's really... Uh, in bad shape at this point. He's overloaded with guilt and heartache that he doesn't know how to deal with. And he starts trying to turn to, he's already turned to uh, several things to manage his pain. And at this point, he turns to a chaplain. Now he pours his heart out to this chaplain about how difficult this situation is. And the chaplain tells him basically, you'll get over it, it'll be fine. Of course, that doesn't help, so he doesn't try to turn to the church anymore. So then he turns to his pen pals. He tries sharing his pain and confusion with those that he loves most, friends and family. And they write back to him, but they all say the same thing. They all say, it's okay because you're a soldier. None of it matters because you're doing it for your country. That doesn't help at all. Now, one girl that he had become interested in when he had been being trained was named Thiel. I think that's how you say it. She wrote back to him about guilt, and he said, that part of her letters spoke straight to my own wretchedness. But then she went on to talk about forgiveness, and there she lost me. My sense of guilt was wrapped around me like a chain, and nothing I did, drinking, fighting, writing letters or reading them, nothing seemed to ease its stranglehold upon me. So he's in the midst of this really, really, really difficult circumstance that he finds himself in, and he doesn't see any solution. And one day he's walking through the market, and a monkey jumps on his head because he's in Indonesia, I think, and jumps on his head and smiles at him and he was instantly sold. So he buys the monkey and it becomes his best friend and is confident. He takes this monkey everywhere he possibly can. They go running together. They go out in the woods and the jungle together. And this monkey provides him some comfort and relief. But unfortunately, 
a fellow soldier in his barracks took a disliking to the monkey. And uh, because of some things, some words that were exchanged when he first got the monkey, this other soldier hated it. And so on, on this really unfortunate, terrible day for Andrew, he's already in all this pain. Things are already going so terribly. And he gets a telegram that his mother has passed away. And he knows he's going to cry. And he's overcome with grief. And so he decides he's got to go be alone, even without his monkey. So he leaves the monkey behind and he goes off for several hours to to be alone. And when he returns, one soldier meets him as he walks in. His face is ashen and he just looks shocked and sad. And he, and he tells Andrew, your monkey is dead. And this is absolutely devastating for him. Like he's just completely numb by this point. He doesn't even know how to handle his grief. This soldier that hated the monkey so much had taken the opportunity while Andrew was gone of grabbing the monkey by the tail and slamming it by the, uh, against the wall repeatedly and then threw it outside. So you can just imagine the depth of sorrow. Um, Andrew is so broken and beaten at this point. He walks outside, he finds the monkey slung over a tree branch, and it's actually not dead. So he spends the next few weeks, every spare moment, nursing this monkey. He tries to stitch up its wounds. He tries to feed it and nurse it and nurture it, and he brings it back to life. It has a few disabilities, but it can function pretty normally, but it's terrified of people. It still trusts Andrew, but he's the only one that this monkey will trust. And pretty soon after the monkey is healed, there's a transfer and he can't take the monkey with him. This soldier that had tried to kill the monkey watched as Andrew tried to bring him back to life and it softened his heart a little. And so when Andrew needed a ride to the jungle to release this monkey, this soldier offered to take him and Andrew let him and it, it helped their relationship heal a little bit. So he took him to the jungle and told him why he needed to leave him and left him in a new home with other monkeys in the jungle. He goes back into battle, but he doesn't even have the same energy anymore. He's still cursing and crazy and, you know, totally uninterested in life, but he doesn't have the same level of energy that he used to have in battle. He's just numb and doing his, his job as a soldier. And then of course the fateful day arrived when he was wounded in battle, he was running and he just felt himself fall and he didn't know what had happened. He knew he didn't trip and he looked down and he had two gunshot wounds in his boot. He'd been hit twice in the foot. And so he was taken to the hospital. And this is what he says about that moment when he realizes that he's been permanently wounded in his foot and he's in the hospital. That was the final irony, the final failure. I hadn't even managed to get my brains blown out. Just a foot. Somehow in all my furious self-destructiveness, I had never considered this possibility. I had always seen myself going out in a blaze of contempt for the whole human farce, but to live and be crippled, that was the meanest fate of all. My great adventure had failed. Worse, I was 20 years old and I had discovered that there was no real adventure anywhere in the world. 
So you can imagine the level of depression that he is in at this point. He feels like he's tried everything and there's no answers to his pain. And he has turned to everything he knows to turn to. And then he gets another blow. He had been writing to this girlfriend, not his girlfriend, but a girlfriend. He really, I think, probably was in love with her, hoped maybe someday they could marry Thiel. And he wrote to her regularly, but he had this other habit too where he needed someone to pour his heart out to. And so he would come home from a difficult day in battle and he would just pour his heart out to her. And he would tell her all the bad stuff that he was doing and all the hard things that he was going through. And then he would burn the letter. Well, unfortunately, he had done this the night before he'd gone into the final battle and he had left a letter for her unfinished. And to be helpful, the other soldiers, his friends, had found the letter and searched through all of his addresses and things and found the right address and mailed the letter to her, a letter he never intended for anyone to see. So then he's just mortified and like, she's never gonna talk to me again and one of the most important people of my life is gonna be gone. And um, he knew, he remembered some things he had said in the letter. He had said things like he knew um, he didn't want he didn't want God, he didn't want religion, he didn't want prayer, and he was drowning his sorrows every night in drink, and then other worse things as well, other behaviors that he was engaged in, and he was very, very ashamed of the fact that he had done them, ashamed of himself, but really ashamed that she had had the letter. So I've called this podcast, What Are You Leaning On?, because at this point in Andrew's life, he had leaned on a lot of things. When he went out into the real world, you know, we grow up, many of us grew up in God-fearing homes. Maybe you didn't, I did. And religion seems simple. Prayer seems simple. We go through things that are hard and, you know, have experiences with God. But when we go out and become an adult and real life truly hits, we sometimes find ourselves in situations where the pain is so deep we never thought we could feel that much pain. And it's in those moments when we have to lean on the strength of someone or something. We want so desperately to escape the pain, we want so desperately to be consoled and comforted or to escape somehow that we lean on something. And to this point, Andrew had leaned on a lot of things. He had changed his circumstances. He leaned on just changing his environment. I'll just go to a new place and do a new thing, and that will give my life purpose and meaning, that will help me know who I am, that will make me feel better about myself and about my life. Because he didn't feel talented, he didn't feel uh, smart, he didn't feel like he was good at anything, and he wanted being a soldier to rescue him from the way he felt about himself. He had turned to smoking. He had turned to crazy behavior on the battlefield. And as the pain deepened and he leaned on all the wrong things, then his shame at his behavior became deeper and deeper still until he really wanted to kill himself because he couldn't really stand living with himself. And he was either going crazy on the battlefield or drowning his pain in drink and bad behavior. 
He had turned to swearing and acting as though he didn't care. He had leaned on immersing himself in the army culture and doing what others did. He had leaned on drinking. He had even tried to lean on a chaplain who didn't, you know, hypothetically someone who could help him who couldn't. He had leaned on his friends and family at home through writing all these extensive letters. He had even learned on, leaned on the companionship of a pet. And in the end, he found himself still broken and beaten. None of these things had restored his, uh, any kind of liking, let alone loving of himself. None of them had removed the guilt and the shame and the deep, deep, deep resentments. None of them made him happy to get up in the morning. None of, him, none of them made his future bright. None of them made him want to live another day and discover more about the world and about himself. None of them brought comfort, peace, or any semblance of, of personal acceptance or joy. Now, in the meantime, he's in the hospital. And a soldier, the soldier actually who had tried to kill the monkey and had tried to make amends, was fishing through his things and found this Bible. And it was an old worn Bible that his mother had given him. I can't remember if maybe it was even his mother's Bible. And he thought certainly that Andrew would want it. So he had brought it to the hospital and left it on Andrew's nightstand. And Andrew said, I said thanks, but I didn't pick it up. I doubt if I ever would have except for the nuns. The hospital to which I had been assigned was run by Franciscan sisters. I soon fell in love with any, every one of them. One day I asked the nun who came to bathe me how it was that she and the other sisters were always so cheerful. Why, Andrew, you ought to know the answer to that, a good Dutch boy like you. It's the love of Christ. When she said it, her eyes sparkled, and I knew without question that for her, this was the whole answer. She could have talked all afternoon and said no more. But you're teasing me, aren't you? She said, tapping the well-worn little Bible. You've got the answer right here. Well, Andrew thought a lot about that. He thought about how these nuns made him feel. He thought about the comfort and peace he felt around him. He thought about the way that they felt about themselves and about him. And he wondered if this nun could really be right, if it could really be true. So he picked up the Bible, sitting in that hospital bed with nothing else to do, and he began reading, genuinely interested for the first time in his life. He started writing to Thiel about it, who had written to him and been so empathic and understanding and proud of him for being honest about his pain and struggles. And they started reading the Bible together from across the world. They exchanged letters about Bible verses and things that they, that they were reading and she would try to find answers to his questions through the scriptures or through her pastor or whoever it was. And although this discovery was fascinating and enjoyable, Andrew still hung on to his despair about life, his permanently crippled leg that he would never run again, and the resentment that he felt about everything that he had been through, losing his brother, losing his mother, becoming crippled, uh, the, the trials and struggles of war and he clung to alcohol he was sent home and he continued to smoke and drink heavily to manage the pain that was still inside him but eventually through a series of events he again turned to the bible 
came alive to him for the first time in his life, and he began to really understand what he was what he was reading. He became devoted to reading it for large portions of the day. In fact, he even found worship services in neighboring towns for pretty much every night of the week. So he biked all over long distances to attend any kind of religious service every night of the week that he possibly could. Now this went on for a while and his family and even Thiel began to be really worried about him. In fact, his dad said it was shell shock and they were worried that he was becoming a religious fanatic and that he was um, just just doing this as another like kind of form of, of escape. He ignored what they were saying and he continued to read and study and learn. And then one night he was lying in bed listening to the storm outside and the words of others that he had heard in the past began echoing in his mind about the importance of letting go, about the prison that he was in, about the freedom that he wanted, and what did he need to let go of to experience that freedom. So he asked himself, what was I hanging on to? I lay on my back with my hands under my head, staring at the darkened ceiling, and all at once, very quietly, I let go of my ego. With a new note in the wind yelling at me to not be a fool, I turned myself over to God, lock, stock, and adventure. There wasn't much faith in my prayer. I just said, Lord, if you will show me the way, I will follow you. Amen. The next morning, he said, although I had thrown away every shred of self-defense, I felt secure in a way I had never known before. I woke up with such joy welling in me that I had to tell someone. Eventually, he heard the call from God to become a missionary. His foot was miraculously healed, and he went on to become the Brother Andrew of the book God's Smuggler, which is a book that was really transformational for me, and I would highly recommend you go read it. The level of faith exhibited, the miracles that happen, and the work that he did with his life has affected millions, including me. And I kind of renewed my commitment after I read that book and looked at the kind of sacrifices that he made with his life. For decades, he smuggled Bibles into communist countries and truly became a secret agent and had all the adventures he'd always wanted to have, but this time he had them for God. So we all grow up, as I was saying before, pretty naive, and then life hits us. We have troubled marriages. We experience chronic pain. Someone close to us falls into addiction. We experience suicide, abuse, financial devastation, and so many other trials that just feel like we've been run over. And sometimes we don't feel like we want to get up. Like Brother Andrew, the pain of the world descends upon us and we have to lean on something for support. So what are we leaning on? All the statistics in the world are just bad. High school students uh, have increased their vaping habits 80% in one year. Deaths by overdo drug overdose have gone up several hundred times in the last few years. Substance abuse is higher than it's ever been. Suicide, rights, suicide, suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. Pornography addiction is higher than it's ever been. 
There are over 100 million antidepressant prescriptions written every year in the United States alone. Anxiety is on the rise. Um, emotional ills are so prevalent. All the stats are just awful. And so who are we, who or what are we leaning on when times get hard? Are we leaning on substances? Are we leaning on our family? Are we leaning on anger? Are we leaning on resentment? Are we leaning on victimhood? What are we turning to? What are we leaning on to try to make us feel strong or make us feel powerful or get us out of the pain? What keeps us going when the pain is so great we don't feel like we can make it? The first law of the seven laws of life mission is to love God. And the first principle is to establish a divine center. Brother Andrew tried everything, and then he turned to the only true source of strength and comfort. He got to know God through prayer. He studied God's word and then turned his will over to God. He truly loved God with all his heart, and for the first time in his life, he had a solid foundation to build on. He and God were now in a position to work together to find and fulfill Andrew's mission. And the good works he did continue to bless millions of lives. So I want to challenge everyone listening to today's podcast. It's a challenging time. There was a spike last week. Over 3 million people applied for unemployment benefits. Things were just passed to, to give handouts, financial handouts for those in trouble financially. If we ever needed to lean on God as individuals and as, as a nation, it's now. If we ever needed to manage our fears and our worries, it's now. If we ever needed great comfort and a solid foundation, it's now. And that first law of life mission to love God is what we most need. Nothing else is going to work. We cannot lean on anything or anyone else to draw the strength, the strength to forgive, the strength to overcome, the strength to be happy and optimistic, the strength to be a creator, the strength to ask empowering questions, the strength to tell ourselves the truth, all those things that we're attempting to help you do in the Mission Driven Mom. So my challenge for you this week is to go get your audiobook copy of The Mission Driven Life. We are working on making hard copies available in the next few weeks. As soon as we possibly can, we're getting a new cover made for you. Um, but you can listen to the book. You can learn those laws. You can join the Facebook group. You can join our community. You can share it out with friends and family who are also struggling. And you can gain the strength. We can help each other turn to God and lean on him. So please head over to the missiondrivenmom.com and grab that copy. Join our Facebook group and draw the strength you need from the only true source of strength. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next time.